0: Now, we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a
1: community, one relationship at a time. An area that I've been talking a lot about is Bitcoin versus gold. So right now in the environment that we're in, um, a lot of investors are concerned over those rising rates.
0: Roxana, great having you back on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. All right, so the Magnificent Seven. Uh, I actually haven't discussed this topic much recently. I I think mostly because these stocks have been so well-documented, right? Everyone is aware of what these have done. But I've got to tell you, I was looking the other day, those seven stocks, so Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon, Meta, Alphabet, and then uh, Tesla, which Tesla has fallen off a bit recently. But but even then, if you look, those seven stocks account for nearly three, 30% 30% of the holdings in the S&P 500. If you look at the uh the Qs, the Nasdaq 100, we're talking about nearly 40% of the overall weighting. And so let's start with the the obvious question, which is does that type of concentration concern you or is that just part of the deal when you invest in uh market cap weighted indices right you you get the benefit on the way up and potentially have some greater exposure on the way down how are you viewing this right now
1: yeah so you know i think this this is really interesting because the magnificent seven isn't anything new at all um but i feel like all of a sudden i'm hearing about this several times a day so it's just it's this really weird phenomenon and i think it's partly because um you know, large-cap tech means they've provided growth while feeling safe. Um, so I think that's even more important in the environment that we're in right now. And then, plus, you have all this new hype driven by AI. But, you know, as I said, these stocks have been in the S&P 500 for a while, and they've always been up a, a large portion of it, you know, and that's been growing, but, you um, not that significantly, actually. And as you said, that's, that's kind of the whole purpose of a, a market cap-weighted index or ETF, right? So that amount has been growing. Um, and I think that is the part that is concerning a lot of people. But, you know, I think these are attractive names. They they drive return, but obviously the issue is, you know, what if there is a downturn or some sort of tech bubble crash? So, you know, I think it's not really um, that concerning if your overall portfolio is fully diversified. but if you are investing in multiple ETFs and getting exposure to the same handful of stocks over and over again, then you're not really getting the diversification you think you are, and that's where the real issue is.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because when you talk about trying to build a diversified portfolio, one of the interesting aspects here from, I I would say, an ETF standpoint is that it can be difficult for investors to get away from the Magnificent Seven. Like, even if they're making a uh, concerted effort to do so, these stocks can pop up everywhere in industry and, and sector and thematic ETFs. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Because obviously sector and thematic ETFs are a, uh, a strong area of expertise for you. That's right in your title. So h- how do you think about that challenge for investors?
1: Yeah, so so it's interesting because if, if you look at the holdings of a lot of these uh, thematic and industry ETFs, you know, despite what the name is, despite what the, the sector is, if, if they have something to do with disruptive tech or innovation, they're, they're going to have um, these same stocks in their top holdings. So when you're looking at these disruptive tech, innovation, ETFs, you know, a lot of times you're in a new emerging industry, and the issue with um, being in a new emerging industry is that many of the companies are private and they're not public yet. So they're not eligible for inclusion in an ind- index or, or an ETF. And the ones that are um, are very small. So if we're looking at a market cap-weighted ETF, which many of these are, then uh, many of these hold the same Magnificent Seven stocks in their top holdings. Since you know, these stocks are, are typically involved in the infrastructure of all um these different disruptive technologies. So if you look at an electric vehicle ETF, um, like iDrive I is a big one, that has about uh, 15% exposure to these stocks. And then um, AI ETFs, I'm using chat, for example, that has about 30% exposure to these stocks. So, you know, I think the key here is just to be aware of, of what's inside your ETF and know what you're really investing in and how that fits um, in the overall context of your portfolio.
0: In terms of say the S&P 500 or the Qs. I, I I think we're both in agreement that obviously the concentration can be a good thing if you've been on this ride for a while, right? So I, I, again, I pulled some performance figures th- this morning. The S&P 500 is up 21% over the past year, 33% over the trailing three years, nearly 100% over the trailing five years, so on and so forth. We could keep going back. But let's say investors are feeling like now is the time to take some risk off the table, that they, they feel like th- this run from the Magnificent Seven is a bit long in the tooth and uh, that they want to reduce exposure here. How, how are you thinking about alternatives? Like I, I know equal weighted ETFs are getting a lot more run these days. Would you point to those? Or are there some other ETFs you might consider?
1: Yeah, you know, I think besides market cap-weighted, a lot of investors like to look at uh, the equal-weighted ETF. So that's like RSP, which is um, the Invesco S&P 500 equal-weight ETF. So so with that, you diversify away some of that single stock risk. And it puts all your holdings in an equal playing field. It gives the chance for some of these other names to show some growth. Um, especially now, a lot of people, are, I think, are kind of worried about Um, the Magnificent Seven being overvalued. So, um, you know, potentially seeing um, some of those stock prices drop and giving some other stocks a chance to to sort of shine. And there's also revenue-weighted ETFs. Um, RWL, for example, that's the Invesco uh, S&P 500 revenue ETF. So holdings are are weighted by revenue. So that's essentially weighing by performance. So it's it's a little bit different way to, to look at things. So You know, good options out there, um, but if you look at performance, I mean, SPY has actually done pretty well, and on an annual basis, it's outperformed equal weight and revenue-weighted options over the past five years or so, except for 2020 and 2021. Uh, So, you know, I think the best option for the majority of of investors might just be to stick to SPY and just try not to over-allocate in the remainder of your portfolio. As I said, you know, make sure you're diversified with not just fixed income, but also not putting all your equities in in tech or disruptive tech or innovation.
0: Yeah, what about just moving down the cap spectrum a bit? Like you mentioned RSP, the the equal weight S&P 500 ETF. If you look at the historical data on that, it looks very similar to a a mid-cap stock ETF. And so I'm wondering, you know, could you move down to mid-caps or at least add some exposure to mid-caps to diversify something like SPY or look down to small-caps? I'm going to visit uh later on here with a portfolio manager on a small-cap ETF. Is that a place to look? Any thoughts just on moving down the cap spectrum?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think – you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot about uh, small caps this year. Um, some people say it could be the year of, of the small caps um, just because we have seen that significant outperformance in the, in the larger cap stocks, and they could potentially be overvalued. So it, it, it could be time for some of these small caps to shine, and if not, um, you know, it's still a good way to diversify your portfolio.
0: Before we move on here, because you know I have to ask you about crypto ETFs. You're not getting away from that uh, this week. Uh, our, our focus has been on investors who are concerned about the Magnificent Seven concentration. I'm curious, what about the other side? Because I'm sure there are some investors who, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, they might prefer to back up the truck here, right? Because that has worked really well. And so... I'm curious what you think about some of these ETFs that actually focus on Magnificent Seven stocks, something like the Roundhill Magnificent Seven ETF, ticker or MAGS, or, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, so there's literally an ETF for everything. So, of <laughs> course, there are ETFs that follow the Magnificent Seven. So there's a couple um, that I know of. So there's there's MAGS and YMAG. And, you know, I think for the majority of investors, it's it's probably just easier to buy single stocks. But you know, I also think when we have these um, highly specialized ETFs, uh, you know, by the time they're approved and launched, a lot of the hype has already died down. So I think you're missing out on some of that um, initial price performance that, that you would have gotten in the beginning.
0: No, I think that's a fair point. and. uh Again, if you're truly building a diversified portfolio, I don't think you necessarily want to load up the truck here. I, I think that's pretty obvious. But, uh, Roxana, let's switch gears here and, and, like I said, briefly talk crypto ETFs because your last several uh, ETF prime appearances have been focused on spot Bitcoin and spot Ether ETFs through no fault of your own, by the way, right? That That's all on me, but I do like your perspective uh, on this space. And so I, I just want to get your very quick thoughts on two areas right now. Um, first, with a spot Bitcoin ETFs, since we last spoke, which was in early January, of course, these things are now out in the wild. And I, I think it's been pretty interesting to watch uh, for, for a number of reasons. But just looking at flows, of course, we've had the outflows from the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC. We've seen pretty significant inflows into the uh, the other nine spot bitcoin ETFs uh, the the iShares bitcoin trust is already over 3 billion fidelity's uh, bitcoin ETF is approaching that and I, I mentioned i think there's a really strong middle class developing here if you look at arks bitcoin ETF or, or bitwise's bitcoin ETF even invesco uh it's not like all of the assets are accruing just to the uh, to the leader here but what what's been your assessment on these first three or four weeks of trading in, in the competition. Has anything surprised you at all? Anything stood out to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that most surprised me was um, was how Bitcoin prices reacted. Um, you know, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I really thought this would drive the market a little bit more. Um, but looking back on it, I, th- I think it does make sense. You know, a lot of that was probably already priced in because this whole approval process was just like really – Slow and painstaking. So I think by the time they were officially approved, um, everyone already thought it was going to happen. Plus, we had that that uh, Twitter or X fake out the day before, where we thought they were approved, but then they weren't. Um, and then I think the selling pressure from from Grayscale was a little bit more than I imagined. Um, so so it does make sense looking back on it. But it w- it was still a little bit surprising to me to see um, the market not really react um, in prices. So yeah, that, that, was, that, was, uh, that was really what stood
0: out to me. Yeah, I think GBTC goes without saying. It just is muddying the waters right now. I think it's tough to get a, a good read on its impact both on the, the, the price of Bitcoin but also just on the competitive dynamics uh, w- within the spot Bitcoin ETFs themselves. A- anything just on the spot Bitcoin ETF competition that stood out to you? Or has this gone, like let's say we put GBTC aside, has this gone about the way you were expecting with, with iShares and Fidelity leading the way?
1: Yeah, I, I thought it would be a, a little closer maybe. I know a lot of people, I, I was probably in the minority, but I know a lot of people saw BlackRock and Fidelity and figured they would take a lot of that share. But, you know, I thought there would be a little bit more competition, especially with the War and some of these big crypto players like ARK21 shares and Bitwise. But as you said, they're not that far behind. And I think it's, it's actually pretty cool to see, you know, such similar products, but then have not just two, but like four players really um, stand out. So, so it has been, it has been a little bit interesting, but you know, I, I kind of expected those two to do a little bit better um, flows wise.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting too is I feel like the marketing war around this is really just getting started. I don't think we fully have seen everything that these issuers are going to bring to bear and in, in trying to uh, get the word out on these. So I, I think it'll be fun to watch moving forward. The, the other question I had for you, Roxana, was uh, around spot ether ETFs. So I I think now that the SEC has approved spot Bitcoin ETFs, naturally, everyone is looking towards potential spot Ether ETF approval. People can't help themselves, probably including me. And again, this is a topic you and I have discussed in the past, that if you just take a step back and you consider that we have CME-traded Bitcoin futures, we have CME-traded Bitcoin futures ETFs, and then, of course, following the Grayscale Court victory, we now have spot Bitcoin ETFs. And so, if you if you take all that and then look at the ether side, we have CME traded ether futures. The SEC approved CME traded ether futures ETFs. That was back in uh, what early October. And so, I think if you just use some very basic logic, that would seem to bode well for spot ether ETF approval, which I believe the final deadline on the on the first wave of those comes up in May. Um, do you still agree with that, or, or has anything changed in your thinking around this? Because I think that's where your head was at last we spoke, was that, yeah, that logic makes sense. Do, do you still agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I think that that logic still makes sense. Um, we saw the precedent be set um, already, so I think it's going to be the same logic. We have these Ether futures ETFs, so there's there's really no reason that they should deny um, Ether spot ETFs. So, you know, I think we will see them um, this year. Uh, will there be as much excitement about them? Uh, probably not. So it, it probably won't be as well covered as the uh, spot Bitcoin race was. But, you know, I think, I think it will happen.
0: Do you think there's any um, sort of out here for the SEC, some sort of rationale they could come up with? I know some people want to point to whether or not they classify Ether as a, a security or not. I mean, I think. Everything we've seen thus far, they haven't fought the CFTC on the CFTC's classification of Ether as a non-security commodity. As I mentioned, they approved the Ether Futures ETFs, which you would think if they were going to argue against Ether um, being a commodity or they want to make the case that Ether is a security, they would not have approved those ETFs. I mean, is there anything that you could see happening here? Of course, the SEC can do whatever they want at the end of the day, but, you know, they they could face a lawsuit depending upon what the rationale for uh, for denying these would be. But is there anything that you can see that looks obvious to you on how they could somehow deny spot E3 ETFs?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I'm seeing. I've, I've, I've been hearing a lot about the classification issue. Um, that's maybe where it can get a little bit muddy. Oh, is it a security or is it a commodity? But, you know, I still have my same opinion that, you know, if, if they did approve, if they approved the Ether Futures ETFs, they should approve the, um, the Ether Spot uh, ETFs. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, they'd probably be opening themselves up to lawsuits like we saw with Grayscale.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well. I think that if they try to deny these, they could be facing another lawsuit over an APA, Administrative Procedure Act violation, but we shall see, uh, programming out. I, I promise listeners, I probably won't be covering that story quite as much as I covered the spot Bitcoin ETF story. Uh, I don't know that I have the energy, uh, to, to go through that again, but Roxana, we will have to leave it there. Great stuff as always. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks. That was Roxana Islam, head of sector and industry research at Vetify.